Welcome to Technology. I'm Ken Yamansky, your host for this exciting adventure into the world of technology. In our first broadcast, we discussed blockchain, its history, applications, and future. Today, I want to continue our blockchain discussion, but I want to delve deeper into this technology. We'll briefly review its history again, look at its benefits and possible difficulties, and talk about blockchain security and the future of blockchain. I have with me a blockchain expert, Brooke Oldry. Brooke is a software engineer by trade and an entrepreneur by nature. He has 15 years of experience developing new software products for some of the Fortune 500 companies, as well as some startups. He's an expert in the development of APIs, websites, AI, blockchain, mobile, and IoT. Welcome, Brooke, and thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks, Ken. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm really happy to have someone with your background and knowledge join us today to talk about blockchain. So let's get started and dive right into it. Um, I, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. First, can you give our audience a little review of how blockchain works and a short history of its technology? Uh, yeah, sure, absolutely. So the first commercial uh, use of blockchain was in the Bitcoin uh, chain, and that was in 2009. And Bitcoin is a good example of a blockchain, although it is limited in some ways, but it uh, gets at the fundamentals. So blockchain is just as it's uh, described, it's a block in a chain or a chain of blocks. Each block represents some data and they are chained together in such a way that in order to change a previous transaction or block, you would have to change all subsequent blocks, um, which is what provides the chain the security. It is a distributed system, so anybody that wants to participate can participate. If you want to run a blockchain node, you can, uh, or you know, Bitcoin node or blockchain of any kind, you can fire the software up on your computer. Your computer will connect with other computers that are running the same software, and together they will maintain this chain of blocks representing data. In the, in the case of Bitcoin, this data is really about uh, value transfer from one account to another. And it's about uh, a ledger of value transfers. Some of the other blockchains, such as Ethereum, are more focused on data and less focused on value transfer. Thank you. Most people still think of blockchain as um, only the technology designed for cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. um, can you explain, is that still true or is it um, has it proliferated? Well, I think it's yes and no is the answer to that. The, the cryptocurrencies themselves are a way of maintaining the network and incentivizing certain actors within that network. Uh, for example, when you run a, a Bitcoin node, uh, you are maintaining a network that is that is tracking the value transfer from all of the people on that are using Bitcoin. Um, and in exchange, you receive a part of or you receive tokens. So Bitcoin, in, in the case of the Bitcoin blockchain, as a reward for helping participate in that maintenance. And so at the same time, the the coin itself and the increase in value is what drives the miners to continue doing their work and continue expending their resources to maintain the network. And so the coins themselves are an important part of the network, but they are not all that the network does. The network uh, can do many other things and is doing many other things. In terms of the Ethereum blockchain, for example, uh, you can store arbitrary data on the Ethereum blockchain. And so what that means is that 
there are all kinds of applications that could be built and maintained using the Ethereum blockchain. And the miners of Ethereum, the ones maintaining the network, are rewarded in the Ethereum token. So the Ethereum token is an important part, but is not the end goal. The end goal is really more like a universal operating system that is publicly available to everyone that uh, applications can write to, uh, people can store data on, and uh, share data with each other. So you just mentioned the Ethereum blockchain. Yeah. Can you expound on that a little bit? Um, I'm, I'm not sure all our listeners understand that um, or are familiar with it. Sure. So in the Bitcoin blockchain, the, the data that can be stored in the Bitcoin blockchain is essentially numbers. I transferred 10 sats to you, you transferred five sats to someone else, and it's really tracking those n- numeric transfers. But because the Ethereum blockchain uh, allows the storage of arbitrary data and I'm, just any data at all. You can do all kinds of new things. For example, the storage of arbitrary data is what makes smart contracts possible. So you can actually, a smart contract is a piece of code that you write and you deploy it to the blockchain and it exists in a block just like any other data, except this data is really represents some code that can be acted upon. And so now you can uh, make a call to a specific block on the Ethereum chain and the Ethereum chain and the EVM uh, will know how to execute that code in response to the, the request that you made. And so it makes smart contracts possible. It makes data storage possible. It makes NFTs possible. For example, uh, NFTs is one of the applications that um, is was invented on the Ethereum blockchain. Uh, does that clear it up for you? Yeah. Yeah, that, that gives me a little bit more understanding of it. Um, you said something else earlier about, um, you know, the the crypto blockchain is doing more now than it has in the past. Can you explain that a little bit? Uh, sure. So the early adopters of crypto and the people that you might think of as, as crypto were, were traders and they wanted the token and they wanted the token to go up in value so that they could uh, increase their wealth. And it was it was mostly a game of well it was almost like gambling uh, and the people that were involved in it were they would go on social media and they would talk about a token talk about a token talk about a token in order to get that token to go up in value so that they could sell it and then and then retrieve retrieve the profits and that at this point is sort of fading away that behavior is fading away and it's being replaced with more utility. Um, type applications. For example, if you buy a pair of Nike shoes, you can get an NFT. What, well, what is an NFT? An NFT is a piece of data that exists on the blockchain assigned to your account. Um, in, in this case, it's a picture usually. So you buy a, a pair of Nikes and you get an NFT and now you can go onto the Nike website and you can access special content and special sections on their website and uh, because you own this NFT, because you purchased it or you received it as a part of your purchase of, of a physical pair of shoes. And so companies are finding additional utilities that are beyond just the speculation or the token trading that uh, maybe crypto started with. Uh, another good example would be there's a company right now that's building a ticketing system based on NFTs. So uh, you you get a ticket to an event, a concert or a sporting event or whatever, and it's issued to you on the blockchain as an NFT. And so you you have it in your wallet and now you own this thing that's a ticket and you go to the ticket gate 
and you show your phone and it shows that you have this thing in your wallet and then you're you're admitted into the event but because you own it on your wallet and because the ownership of the this digital thing this ticket is yours and it exists in this public space but attached to your account now you can trade that you could send it to a friend you could give it away you could sell it to someone else and you can really do whatever you want with this ticket uh, which is unlike and completely unlike Ticketmaster. I don't know if you've ever experienced Ticketmaster and tried to give something away, but I had tickets to a theater production and I couldn't go because I got COVID. And so I wanted to give the tickets to my mother and I had purchased them through Ticketmaster and I had to jump through all kinds of hoops just to give this ticket to my, uh, to my mother so that she could go to the show. In the future, when these, these NFT-based ticketing systems are, are in operation, that that'll be a trivial thing to do exercise it'll be as easy as as giving handing someone a paper ticket except you can do it from anywhere because it's electronic but it, it's that easy you don't need anybody's permission you can do whatever you want with it it's your property in, in the similar way to how paper tickets used to be you mentioned that uh you know that benefit uh and that's flexibility it sounds like what other benefits does blockchain have versus what we're living with today? Well, I think that blockchain has a lot of advantages uh, to individual users. One is ownership. I think in this idea of digital ownership is probably seems like maybe not such a big deal, but it is really a big deal. If you think about your relationship with software and your relationship with the applications you use, like iTunes, do you if you buy a song on iTunes, do you really own that song? Because it exists on Apple servers. And if you stopped paying Apple for the service, uh, you would no longer have access to that song. So so do you actually own it? And how can you say that you own it if someone else can can take access to that thing away from you? And that's our relationship right now with all software. If you think about your email your social media profiles, everything that you do online, every video that you buy, every song that you buy, they're all sort of controlled by some third party. And if that third party wanted to, they could they could remove your access to it. So we say that we own a song on iTunes, but I don't know that that's actually true. But in the future, when everybody migrates to the blockchain, you will own those things because the system itself is public. No one owns it. It is. It exists in the world kind of like uh, air. It just exists. It exists. And your account on that system belongs to you. And so when a song is written to the blockchain on your account, you're really the only one that can have access to that. And no one else can have access to it. And no one can prevent you from accessing that. And so you own it in a way that you don't currently own things. And so the idea of ownership of digital assets is a tremendously powerful idea and it will reverberate for a a decade or more into the future. Imagine owning all of your data, all of the data that you produce each and every day. You go on Twitter, if you're a Twitter user, you log in, you make a tweet, you know, over your lifetime, you probably have thousands of tweets, maybe more. And collectively, those thousands of tweets are adding value to the Twitter ecosystem. Twitter itself was valued at $40 billion. And the reason it, the value itself comes from the content that individual people are producing, the collective content of the community. 
is where the value of that company comes from, the $40 billion value. But each one of those individuals now in, in a future state with blockchain would own their own collection of, of tweets or social media posts. And if they wanted to, they could remove those from Twitter and they could move them over to another platform. They can share in the profit model. So if you're a Twitter user and you've got a thousand tweets and that represents one one hundredth of the uh, the total content on Twitter and they get advertising revenue, well, you could be compensated to the to the tune of one one hundredth of the advertising revenue that could come into Twitter. And so the ownership of your own data and how you can sell and monetize and rent that data. Right now, all of that data is being collected by giant technology companies, and they're leveraging it to make billions and billions of dollars. Twitter, Google, Facebook, the, the, the business plan is all the same. So if someone owns the, you know, the, the song now, it's, yeah. it's on their, uh, on their, in their space, yep. can they now share it, sell it to somebody else? Theoretically, I mean, there's nothing technologically that would stop them from doing that. I mean, they could sell it to someone else. So doesn't that open up a whole Pandora's box of the talent? How are you to pay the talent now? You know, who owns the rights to that music? I mean, now you can, I mean, it's it's really going to cause a lot of legal issues, I would think. Well, I think that there's a whole bunch of stuff that hasn't been figured out. I mean, exactly right. And there's a whole bunch of stuff that, that hasn't been figured out, but there are a bunch of potential solutions as well. So you could write a contract. If you're an artist, originally the artist puts the song on the, on the chain and offers it for sale. Now, when you buy that, you're buying one copy. So it's not like you can duplicate that and sell it a thousand times because it's one unique copy that you own. And once you sell it to someone else, you no longer own it. And so you've sold that copy to that other person. And maybe the artist is okay with that kind of a transfer as long as you're not able to copy it a thousand times and sell a thousand copies of it, uh, which is what they objected to with, say, Napster. But uh, another thing they could do is when that artist puts that song originally on the blockchain, they could put it on with, with stipulations. For example, they could put a song out there that says, I'm going to sell this to someone for a dollar, but... If they sell it to someone else, I am going to retrieve 10% of that original of that resale price, whatever that resale price is. And that could be handled automatically by code on the blockchain. And so now the artist has put a song out and they sold it to someone for a dollar. And that person sold it for a for a dollar to someone else, and they received ten percent or ten cents on that transaction also. And so they're being compensated for those resales. And all kinds of different sort of arrangements are possible uh, in this new new paradigm. That that brings to mind another question. Okay, blockchain is being billed as being very secure. Yes. Um, is that true? And is it still hackable? It well, it can be true if the engineers that are working on your particular application in blockchain are well versed in blockchain. Uh, like we are at Performix, if I can give a plug there, <laughs> then you will have a system that is more secure than the existing systems. And the reason really is that all of the user's data is not collected in one place. So currently, all of your data for your email, for example, exists in Google servers along with all of the data from every other user for Gmail exists in the Google servers. And so it becomes a magnificent target for, for hackers. 
because if they can gain access to this one database, they can gain access to millions and millions and millions of users' information. And so that becomes a target. But if if the public, if the system is public, but each individual account owns its own data, there's no way to hack the system at, at large. You could still potentially hack an individual user, but you would have to hack each individual user in order to get their data. And there's ways to make that difficult. Again, hacking is always make it more difficult than security is about making something more difficult than the value of the hack. And so because anything can be hacked, any system can be hacked. But if if the data that you can retrieve as a hacker is less valuable than the effort it costs or the time it costs in order to get into that system, then there is no incentive for the hacker to try and hack that system. And that's really what blockchain is relying upon is when we segment data into individual accounts and you want to hack uh, that account, well, you'll have to hack each individual account. And, and how valuable is that hacking of one account as opposed to how much time did it take you and how much energy did it take you to actually hack that account and the dwindling returns that are involved there, uh, the amount of money that you can get for one account's data as opposed to the amount of effort it takes to get that account's data um, makes it more secure. So how difficult is it for somebody, one of our listeners out there, to um, who wants to put in a blockchain technology system, how difficult is it to install it, to, to, to adopt it, to, to make it real? It is not very difficult. If your application, you kind of have to think about it in a new way. Um, so the existing architecture that we use, servers, clients, databases, you know, uh, authentication, roles management, all of that stuff that goes into applications that we're building today. You kind of have to rethink and reimagine all of those core concepts uh, of the application. But once you can reimagine those, the actual execution uh, is not very difficult and not any more difficult really than, than building uh, one of the existing systems. And you could make the argument that it's actually less difficult because there is ultimately less software that you have to build because you're relying so heavily on this public operating system called the blockchain. Let's talk a bit about the future of blockchain. Where do you yeah. see it going? How is it going to be used? Uh, who's going to be the, the primary users of it? Yeah, well, everyone will be. In five years, I predict that everyone will have a crypto wallet and everyone will be engaged in blockchain everyone will be operating on, on systems that are running on blockchain. The reason I believe that is because there's so many value propositions. It's more secure. It's cheaper. It's uh, more private. You have ownership of your own data. You have control over your own online identity in ways that you don't currently. And, and all of these value propositions stack on top of each other and allow brand new kinds of applications. So I, I envision uh, five years from now, everyone will have a crypto wallet, even if it's not called a crypto wallet, it might be called a space account or who knows what, right? But uh, they'll have something that is a crypto wallet and they'll be um, interacting with the blockchain, I would say within five years. And I think that long term, the blockchain is going to take over um, a majority of the applications that you work on or work with today. Are you saying that server farms will be obsolete at that point? Uh, in a sense, yes. I mean, um, even the cloud servers that you have today 
are the cloud servers are owned by Amazon or they're owned by Google and Google is has access to all of that data and they're they're mining that data and they're monetizing that data. When you move your system to blockchain, that's no longer the case. So although it's the individual miners that are running the, the software that maintains the network, in a, they become the server farm. And so the server farm is no longer a building full of big machines. It is a collection of tens of thousands of individual computers spread out across the world that are all cooperating on maintaining this network that everybody can interact with. Well, wow. okay. Um, and you see this happening, you think, in the next five years? I think that everyone will be interacting with blockchain applications within the next five years. I don't, I don't think, I mean, we're still running uh, console or what do you call mainframe applications in some banks right now. And mainframes have not been state of the art in many, many, many years. Yeah. And so the idea that we're going to replace all software with blockchain, no, where there's going to be a transition period. Everyone will be interacting in five years with blockchain as far as how long it takes for all applications to migrate to a blockchain type application all decades. What companies do you think will be most the early adopters of blockchain or will be the most users of it? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, consumer brands, I think, well, I mean, it's the usual suspects, right? The first, the early adopters are going to be the companies that are forward looking. So uh, consumer brands that see themselves as high tech, Apple, uh, you know, some fashion brands are, are going to be for sports organizations. ESPN, I can see doing it. You know, these companies that are sort of forward-looking, co consumer-facing, um, these brands are going to be first to adopt. And then the laggers are going to be the usual suspects as well, like uh, banks. Well, although banks might be first, who knows, in this crazy world. But construction companies. And construction companies may take a while to get on board with it. But uh, Okay. Uh, anything else you'd like to uh, to enlighten us with? Um, I think the from the perspective of a software organization, uh, I think it's important to talk about costs. Um, and one of the main drivers, I believe, of what drives the world, in fact, is is economics and economic incentives. They're very strong, and they force companies and individuals to go in certain directions and not others. And I think that. Um, when I make an application like EtherSign, um, and I, I, it's a mobile application that doesn't have any servers, so it's operating entirely on the blockchain on IPFS. We should talk about IPFS too. But it operates on the blockchain and IPFS and a mobile application. So really from a maintenance perspective, the only piece of software that I have to maintain is the mobile application itself, which frees me from all of the overhead involved in servers. So I don't have database administrators, I don't have security audits, I don't have um, server farms and firewalls and you know all of these uh, security type apparatus that uh, a regular company does. And so I can offer the software at a much reduced price because my cost structure is so much different. And I think one of the main incentives and the main drivers to wide-scale adoption of blockchain is going to be the fact that you can offer software at a fraction of the cost of existing providers. And so, like with Quick Template, you might say that, that DocuSign is a, is a competitor. Well, DocuSign's hard costs are $50 per month per customer. That's their hard cost. That's what it costs them to deliver their service to a customer. Uh, we can provide that same service for something around $0.20 cents 
so that's that's the order of magnitude of of economic advantage that companies have if they're if they're willing to wade into the waters of, of blockchain. And I think it will force uh, many companies and, and ultimately most companies to adopt that technology. Yeah, sounds like it. Uh, you wanted to talk about IPFS. Yes, interplanetary file system. It's just as as advertised, they, they envision a global file system that anybody can access. So this is this is kind of like a blockchain, except what they're doing is they're breaking up files. And so you have a file, you want to store it somewhere. You can send it to IPFS. They'll encrypt it. They'll break it into a thousand pieces and spread it across their network so that each individual node, each individual guy that's running a, a node, doesn't have access to all of your data. From their perspective, it's just bits and bytes. And then when you request that data back, they will reassemble it and send it back to you. And so this is a way to store files in a decentralized uh, infrastructure, permissionless infrastructure. Anyone can be involved in IPFS. Anybody can store files in IPFS. You don't need anybody's permission. Go get the open source software, start running it, and and Bob's your uncle. That you're you're ready to go. So IPFS is a game changing uh, application uh, created at Stanford, Filecoin Labs. Is, uh, is associated with that effort. Uh, so that's that's a great project if somebody wants to look into it. Yeah, the future seems like it's going to be really uh, upon us and has really started at this point in time. That's great. Um, I think it's a lot of promise. You talk about identification. Yeah. So right, now, uh, right now, all of your identification, what, what IDs you is spread out all over the place. You have a driver's license that's stored in one place. You have a transcript that's stored in another place. You have a health record that's stored in a separate place. You've got all of these pieces of your identity that are spread out across the entire internet and captured and held by different organizations. And in the future, all of these pieces of your identity will all be logged to your account on the blockchain and you'll be able to grant access for a limited time or to a limited extent to individuals as you choose. So when you go to the doctor's office, instead of the doctor looking up your your medical record in his system that he maintains that he has control over, you will give him temporary access to your medical records that are stored on your account on the blockchain. And he will be able to read and understand those for as long as he needs to, as long as you chose to give him access to that. And then that access will be withdrawn. And that's how your identity will be managed, which is, uh, an amazing um, step forward for privacy, for, for individual rights. Brooke, we're running out of time, unfortunately. I think we could talk forever and there's a lot more questions to, to be answered. Um, but if any of our listeners want to get in touch with you or, or, you know, what do they need to do? How do they get in touch with you? Well, you can always reach me on LinkedIn, Brooke Oldry, O-L-D-R-E, or you can reach our website at performancebiz.com. Performancebiz.com. Performix is a top shelf custom software development firm. Terrific. Well, thank you again for a very insightful discussion and for your time today. Uh, I really appreciate it. I think uh, I learned a lot. Not I think I did learn a lot. And I think our... uh, our listeners probably learned a lot as well. So, uh, you know, we may have you back for a, uh, another guest appearance, if you wouldn't mind. I'd be happy to do it. Thank you for having me, Ken. Thanks. For our listeners, next on uh, 
technology, we're going to explore IoT with one of the pioneers in the technology. You won't want to miss that discussion. So look for our technology podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, and SoundCloud. Um, and I hope to see you all soon. Uh, thanks for your time. Oh,